Uh, thank you, Jim and Kristen, for sharing with us. It truly was a, a remarkable day, and we could just kind of have open mic morning and go around the room, and I'm sure we would hear uh, a lot more stories. I am curious, because uh, I know both Mike Dinkoff and Mike Castor in the room, who raised, which car wash raised more money? He beat you? Dinkoff lost? How, uh, by a lot? Because I understood that whoever lost had to make up the difference for whoever won. Have you collected that from him yet? Or you? Okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you ease him into that just a little bit. Uh, one of our groups, um, every year we, we serve uh, Father Dickinson's cemetery, uh, and yesterday was no different. I think this, Sean, how many years have you guys, every year since we've been doing this almost? About 15 years we've, we've been serving there. And we uh, received a note this uh, yesterday afternoon before the day was even over uh, from Ernest Jordan, who's the president of the Friends for Father Dickinson Cemetery. And he wrote, Green Tree Church 2028 40-member team left Father Dickinson Cemetery in the most pristine condition I've ever seen it. Green Tree's 2028 event has been the longest-lasting group uh, supporter of this community historic treasure. In 15 years of support, the accessible space on the 13-acre property has nearly doubled. Uh, it's now an open park-like area, easily accessible for the Kirkwood Grants bike trail with multiple shady seating, gathering areas, and detailed historical markers tracing its Kirkwood area African-American roots. We sincerely appreciate everyone who volunteers our, sin our sincere thanks. Um, it really was a, a great day for, uh, for all of us who got to serve. And you might come to the conclusion that we're really a pretty amazing church, right? You might come to the conclusion that, wow, they, these are some pretty cool people. If you're, if you're new to Green Tree, you might say, wow, I, uh, I don't know if I can be as great as these people. I, I might have to find uh, another church. There's something really, really special about them, uh, more than any other church I've ever seen in my entire life anywhere in the whole world. If you're new to Green Tree, that's a nervous laugh. The congregation is very concerned about where I'm going next with this. Well, the truth is there is a significant distinction between disciples of Jesus and unbelievers. That's, that's true. But the distinction might not be what you and I think it is or assume it is. Matthew 23, 23 is our theme verse for this sermon series, The Weightier Matters of the Law. I will remind you of that verse, and then we're going to spend our time this morning in Matthew 25, considering this distinction and actually what is the source. So first, Matthew 23, 23 says this, Woe to you, Jesus is speaking. Woe to you, scribes, <clears throat> Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And then Matthew 25, uh, in the same week that Jesus uh, did that teaching, which is the week right before he went to the cross, uh, we find Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Hear the word of God. When the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking, when the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning for your uh, word to teach us. Uh, in many ways, Lord, uh, yesterday was a, uh, a glorious day, uh, a day where we uh, perhaps learned again about ourselves and, and uh, how much we have and, and how much we need to, to share and care for others. Lord, there was a day of surprises, uh, as Kristen and Jim both shared, and I'm sure for, for others of us, there were similar type experiences, Lord, but it was also a, a very dangerous day because it could be a day where we get the wrong notion about ourselves and our worthiness before you. It could be a day where we actually take a step backwards spiritually instead of a step forward. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, your word would guide our hearts and our minds this morning Lord, I thank you for the leaders of 2028 and their intention that this be a day where we are focused on uh, your grace and how it works its way out through our lives. So I pray that you would teach us that this morning from your word and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what the Spirit of God is saying to us. Lord, we're not here to listen to me or my thoughts. Uh, They're just like anybody else's, just one other person's opinion. We come to hear your eternal truth, and we ask that you would apply it to our lives. Forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the sermon in a sentence this morning, which is actually a, a quote uh, that I was about to say I stole from Michael Green, but I credit him there, so I didn't, I'm just borrowing it. Uh, and this is in his commentary on this particular passage of Scripture, but he, he said it so well, I just thought I'm going to take this and use it this morning. The heart of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus, which shows itself in loving, sacrificial care for others, especially the poor and the needy. So what I would like to do this morning is walk through this passage of Scripture with you for a few minutes and contrast these two groups and try to dig in and find out where the difference lies because on the surface it's going to seem one way and I think 
when we dig in a little bit, we'll understand actually what Jesus intends us to understand, and then we can apply that to our life. We, we have to be careful because if you just glance at this passage of Scripture and you don't take it in the context of all of the rest of the Bible, you could read it to understand that your job is to earn your salvation. Your job is to work your way into heaven, and the way you do that is caring for people less fortunate with, than, than you. And that couldn't be further from the truth. But we won't get to that unless we kind of look at these two groups and really understand the distinction. So let's talk about, about this first group. My guess is yesterday morning, if you were going to be involved in 2028, uh, I'm pretty sure that, that none of us woke up and said to ourselves, now what I've got to do today is I've got to go and make sure I please the all-powerful, glorious judge of the universe. That's what I've got to get done today, right? My guess is you didn't wake up thinking that. If you did, let me just speak for the rest of us and say that's just a little odd. <laughs> that you, maybe we should talk a little bit later. However, that's the identity of Jesus, right? Look at verses 31, 33. The Son of Man, Jesus is speaking about himself there. When he comes in his glory, he's talking about his second coming, Jesus' first advent, he came to die for our sins, to raise back the life, and he promised that he would come again. And we are still waiting for that, but we are waiting for that event with a full assurance that it will take place. And when it takes place, he will come in his glory with all his angels, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Notice the majesty and the glory and the authority of Jesus. This is, this is not Jesus saying what might happen or what he hopes happens. This is Jesus stating a fact about who he is and identity and how we should understand him. Jesus is gracious and compassionate. Jesus is loving and Jesus is kind. But make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, he is the almighty king of kings and lord of lords. And this event to which he speaks is going to happen. And so we may not have woken up yesterday morning saying, you know, I've got to make sure I please the all-powerful, glorious judge of the universe. But that's Jesus' identity. That is correct. My second thought is nobody probably got up yesterday morning and said, what I need to do today is to solidify my place in the kingdom. I've got to make sure that my spot is reserved and that I don't lose it to somebody else. And yet the kingdom is what disciples ultimately receive. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We were working on a couple of things yesterday in the, in the group where I served, and one of them was uh, an outside garden area. Uh, and we, we, before we started, we kind of stepped back and we looked at it, and we took a few minutes and said, okay, now how do we want to go about doing this, right? We haven't been thinking about this since the foundation of the world, <laughs> We haven't been thinking about this, you know, since Friday afternoon. We got there, we got out of our cars, we looked, we took about 10 minutes to figure it out, and off we went. Not Jesus, right? He's thought about this for a long, long time. And what his disciples will ultimately inherit is his kingdom, which he gives them freely. You might not have woken up yesterday morning thinking about your place in the kingdom, but if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are saved by his grace and by his mercy, then part of the kingdom has been set aside for you. 
I'm guessing that probably we didn't wake up yesterday morning and say, I need to make sure that whatever I do today, that I give a welcome to the stranger and that I clothe the naked, that I, that I visit and minister grace to Jesus. My guess is that if, you, if you're like me, you, you thought about the family or the person or the organization that you're going to serve. We're going to go help the folks at 180. We're going to go and, and do a pool party for, for the kids at Angel's Arms. We're going, to, we're going to help Robinson School's nature trail get cleaned up and, and be a little bit better for the folks who use the trail. Probably very few of us, if any of us, thought I'm waking up this morning and I get to go serve Jesus, but that's actually what happened. Look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. We obviously see Jesus' point. Jesus is, is aligning himself with those who are the poorest among us. And while you or I perhaps yesterday morning didn't start off our day thinking about going and, and, and serving Jesus, perhaps we had that experience throughout the day. Perhaps that began to dawn on us that what was actually happening was that we were caring for those whom Jesus cares for himself. And as these folks are surprised in this passage, maybe we're a bit surprised to step back and think about it this morning to understand that ultimately the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords identifies himself with the hopeless and with the helpless. So caring for them means caring for him. Look at 37 through 34. The righteous are surprised. The righteous are confused. They, they, they can't quite understand what's happened. And they're saying, because the vast majority of Christians have never seen Jesus face to face on this earth, if you stop and think about it, right? Jesus' public ministry was three years. He started out with, with 12 disciples. He lost one of those. The crowds grew to thousands. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, Scripture says there were about 500 disciples. There were about 500 Christians in the course of human history who actually saw Jesus on this planet. None of the rest of us woke up yesterday morning and said, oh, I'm going to go see Jesus. This is going to be really good. Yet look at what they, they say. They're surprised. Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe them? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They're surprised. They're shocked to learn that the King of Kings identifies himself with people that are hopeless and helpless. A lot of times when you see powerful people, and this, this, isn't a, this is going to sound like a blanket statement, and, it, and it's a generalization. Uh, it's not always true. There are outliers. But most of the times when you see very powerful people having their picture taken with the, with the poor or the disenfranchised or, or those who are disadvantaged, more often than not, they're, they're taking advantage of a photo op. They're not going to stay there and live there with those folks. They're not, they're not actually going to work with them. They're, they're trying to make a point that they, they really care, but then they get back uh, in their motorcade and they move on to their next assignment of the day. Jesus is very, very different as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But my guess is that we could put ourselves, those of us who are disciples of Jesus, could put ourselves in that, that first group and, and be a bit surprised that the Lord puts so much stress on this particular group of people and our care for them. But conversely, I'm pretty sure yesterday, unbelievers didn't wake up thinking, I really hate Jesus. 
I'm guessing that a lot of people who have not put their faith in Christ yesterday, I'm sure the vast majority of them didn't get out of bed saying, I'm going to work against Jesus today because he's my sworn enemy. And yet that ultimately is the outcome of the unbelieving life. Jesus will say to those on his left, depart from me. You're cursed. People that refuse to put their faith in Jesus, that's actually the outcome of their life. Probably don't think about it. Probably don't consider it that way. Would probably be offended to to hear someone even suggest that. And yet ultimately Jesus says, that's the truth of what lies behind the life that rejects me as Savior and Lord. My guess is also that, that, that those who are not following Jesus didn't wake up yesterday morning and really consider the notion, you know, I got, I got to do all I can to be indifferent to the need of Jesus today. That I want to make sure that I don't care at all about his needs, and yet that's the net result. Look at verses 42 and 43. I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was the stranger. You did not welcome me. I was naked. You did not clothe me. Sick and in prison. You did not visit me. The notion here is there is an indifference towards not the needs of the poor, not the needs of the disenfranchised, not the needs of the, uh, of the alien, of the stranger, of those who are sick, uh, not the needs of those who are in prison, but the very needs of Jesus himself. But my guess is that no one thought to themselves, I'm, I'm going to be indifferent to Jesus today. And just as the first group of folks are surprised to, to hear Jesus say, come on in because uh, look at the evidence of your faith in me, so too those, are, the, those who didn't put their faith in him were surprised to learn that seeing the, the sick uh, uh, or, or the poor, the stranger prison uh, as a person who is irrelevant, as a need that they, they don't quite have time enough to be bothered with, that, that that person is almost invisible to them because maybe they see so many of those folks on so many street corners, they become to just you know, kind of look through them, so to speak, that they didn't understand that that was actually a personal affront to Jesus. Look at verses 44 and following. They will also say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And he will say to them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Disciples are surprised. They're, they're, they're somewhat shocked that there's a reward for what seems to have come naturally to them. And to go back to Matthew 23, 23, the notion of justice and mercy and faithfulness to those who are hurting There's something in in the surprise of the disciples that they're literally caught off guard by this idea that what seemed to be kind of just what they did on a regular basis, the way they lived their lives was actually uh, something that was very, very important. That, that how they cared for folks had become a second nature. And, and you have to say, well, are, are maybe Christians are just that good. And that, that's kind of why I set the sermon up the way I did at the beginning. You know, you could easily kind of run down that road and say, wow, I, I really am a pretty good person. Look at what I've earned. But I want to take you back 
for a moment to the sermon in a sentence and the first phrase of the sermon in a sentence, because I think this is where Green really helps us dig into the true meaning of this statement, the, the, of this passage. The heart of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. Let's just stop there for just a second. The heart of Christianity, or the heart of discipleship, if you want to put it that way, is a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you were here last Sunday or not, but we, uh, we looked at Luke chapter 4. And Jesus was preaching in his hometown, and he turned back to the, to the prophet Isaiah. And he read the place in Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, to preach, uh, to preach uh, good news to the poor, to preach, to preach the good news of release and freedom to those who are captives and to those who are oppressed, to preach uh, the uh, fact that the sight is going to be returned to the blind, That's my mission in life. In other words, Jesus is saying, my mission in life, my intention, my kingdom is to minister to the poorest of the poor, to the most broken people on the planet. But he was talking, obviously, first and foremost, in spiritual terms. In other words, he was talking about me. When I look at my life, that describes me. I am am spiritually poor. I don't have the resources to save myself, nor do you. When I look at my life and I understand that I'm captive to my own sinfulness, not, not even to somebody whose outside influence is affecting me to, to move against God. I do that naturally on my own. I'm very good at disobeying God. I don't need your help. Please don't help me in that. <laughs> Try and help me go the other way. I, I've got that one down cold. And so do you. And Jesus says, I, I've come to, to set free those who are oppressed. So there is an outside influence. The evil one seeks to destroy our relationship with God. He seeks to move us away from our relationship with Jesus and understand his saving grace in our lives. And so not only do we have uh, our own thinking to worry about, we have this one who wants to destroy us. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free from that. He says, I've come to restore the sight to the blind. And again, that describes me, spiritual blindness apart from the grace and the mercy of Jesus. So first and foremost, when Jesus says, I've come for the poor and the oppressed and the, and the blind, what he's speaking about is our spiritual condition. But obviously, he's also speaking of the brokenness of this world that is most demonstrated when people are oppressed, when people are invisible to other people, when we are indifferent to the brokenness in our community, when we don't care about the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so Jesus identifies with that group because he wants us to see ourselves for who we are. But that's where the change happens. It's not something you do in your own. It's not something that I uh, manipulate in my own heart, in my own mind. I need a Messiah. I need someone to, to, to enrich my spiritual poverty to take me out of spiritual oppression and blindness. And when I put my faith in Jesus, when I believe he's the one who can do that, when I come to him in faith and say, I'm I'm trusting in him to make this change in my life, then I begin to follow him. That's what discipleship means. Then I begin to follow him. I don't ask him to be my advisor. (laughs) You ever see those bumper stickers that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, all right? If you have that on your car, on your car it's old. You probably don't have it. But if you have it, take it off because it's not true, right? Jesus is in charge. He's the one setting the pace. He's the one that says, you come follow me. And when you see me think a certain way, you think that way. 
And when you see me speak a certain way, you speak that way. And when you see me care about a certain group of people, you care about a certain group of people because the the disciple is not trying to be better than the master. We're just trying to be like the master. We're just trying to literally follow him. But when I begin following Jesus, something kind of fun happens. He begins to rub off on me. I begin to actually start to look a teeny tiny little bit like him. I begin to think in a way that Jesus wants me to think. I begin to speak in a way that Jesus wants me to speak. I begin to care for people in the way Jesus wants me to care for people. And there's a transformation that takes place in my life for which I can take no credit whatsoever, but I get the benefit. I get the benefit of the presence of Jesus in my life through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. And that's the transformation that's ongoing in my life. And that's what makes the difference. I'm not a good person. I'm probably worse than most unbelievers you know. But I'm saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And therein lies the distinction. And that's why when I, when I begin to follow him, when I begin to trust him, when I begin to believe him by faith, then the second half of the sentence is true, which shows itself in loving, sacrificial care for others, especially the poor and the needy. This is the distinction. This is what the unbelievers missed. Without Jesus, the only person to live for is me. And actually, their their question gives them away. Jesus, if we knew it was you, we would have ministered to you, right? There's the epicenter of selfishness. When the boss walks by my desk, I'm going to look like I'm real busy. Why? Because I want to move up in the company. It's got nothing to do with how the, the boss. It's got nothing to do with the company. It's got nothing to do with anybody else but me, right? And, and what the unbelievers show is that because they, they, they haven't lived for Jesus, they're going to live for themselves. And so they're shocked to find out this. If I knew it was you, I would have practiced better self-preservation. If I knew it was you, I would have done my duty. But the problem is that a lot of us as disciples of Jesus think those same thoughts. You say, we, we want to do this because I, I, I don't want to be the one that isn't there helping because I'll look bad. And Jesus says, trust me, you already look bad. <laughs> right? Let's just check that one off. Trust me, follow me, and let me rub off on you. That's ultimately what 2028 is all about. It's not ultimately just about serving our neighbor, although that's obviously uh, central to what we're doing, right? But it certainly isn't about earning our salvation. It certainly isn't about, you know, doing the things that others won't do so God will notice and love us and bring us to heaven. Rather, it is an expression of Jesus in my life, Jesus rubbing off on me and giving me a passion for justice and mercy and faithfulness. And I, and I think Kristen is exactly right. Uh, it's not so much about what happens yesterday. It's about how much every day I'm going to try to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can and what will come of that. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the author of mercy and justice and faithfulness. You are the one who calls us to love you by loving, loving our neighbor. 
And when we get close to you, we, we understand, we get it, we begin to get glimpses of it, and, and we look forward to the opportunity to care for others. So, Father, guard us against the temptation of thinking, that was really a great day, and I'll do that again next year. Father, guard us against the temptation of thinking, boy, I really did some good things, and now God's going to make some good things happen for me. Lord Jesus, remind us that, that you came and served us who are spiritually poor and miserable and completely unable to help ourselves. And you brought us new life and redemption. Help us to remember that the heart of our faith is a relationship with you. But Lord Jesus, please rub off on us. Please help us truly care from the depths of our hearts about the weightier matters of the law. We pray in your name. Amen.